guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Jake, did you have fun with Electric Nikki over the weekend? <laughs> did you find, did you guys have fun together? You it and Nikki a, and Electric a, Nikki? It was electrifying. All of sure. your dreams come true? Yep. Uh, we have a fun episode for you guys today. Jake put together something really fun, and then I got... You got a new car! Technically, yes. Technically. <laughs> technically, technically well, I have a new car. actually not technically. What? What do you mean? Technically, you haven't gotten a new car yet. Technically, I have not gotten a new car yet because none of the finance departments are open when I <laughs> when I finally decided and it finally worked out. But you out. drove up in a new car. But I, d- I drove up in a, a new car. Right. Well, new to me, not brand new, but yes. new to me. So we'll get to that. Before we do, though, let's take a quick moment to talk about Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all of the latest and greatest in the automotive industry, and they send it right there to your doorstep. Now, there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrol Box Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrol Box Premium gets you even more gear for just $39.95 month. Be sure to check these guys out. It's mypetrolbox.com. And while you're there, use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. All right. So uh, I got a new car, but before that, you said you were telling me when we were coming in that you had some cra- <laughs> kind of crazy, weird nightmare. I had this weird Did dream. you have a bunch of coffee before bed or something? I know. If I have, if I have caffeine yep. or chocolate okay. or any like sweets and stuff like that, I have whacked out dreams. So I had a, a friend in high school. They were like, you ever done robo trips just for the dreams? I was like, what are you talking what about? It was a robo trip. They're like, you slam a Mountain Dew or two, and then you take some Robitussin PM, and you just go to bed and see what happens. That sounds... Sketchy. That sounds terrible, but I did not do that. No, so what I, I think was happening is I was thinking about Road America, the vintage weekend coming up, yeah. which you aren't going to because you're not, lame. I'm not lame. I'm just there's, saying that's the reason you're going. The reason I'm not going is because I'm lame? Yep. I don't I don't know that there's going to be people. You think the event is going to be lame? Yes, I do, and I think I am correct. If I'm not going because I think the event is going to be sad, there's a lot of other people, especially think of the, the old rich dudes that are susceptible to dying from COVID, aren't going to want to maybe not go hey, to these events. Maybe the market on used race cars is going to go. <laughs> eh, maybe we could see. <laughs> no. So I've been kind of thinking about which car to take and the 911 is fun, but as we both know, it's not the most comfortable car we have for long road trips. Right? I don't know. Mine's pretty good. It, it's okay. What do you mean it's okay? I've put 65,000 miles have. on my Here's car. Here's what I'm thinking. Nikki's coming with me. You need It's bet- not as comfortable for the bride. Why? Why not? What's well, the problem? Okay, here's the thing. I always bring earplugs with me and because I was obviously concerned about how loud it is. And is your car loud? With the M&K muffler, it seems to drone a lot. Okay, so have you taken your... Do you still have the, the foam pad behind your engine? I do. Okay, do you have the, the deck lid is on? Yep. Do you have receipts? Yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. It I can, sounds different than yours. Well, and maybe it's just the displacement. Somehow it's a def- if it def- One thing I did is I took. <laughs> I was going to say add a different frequency. I, I took the uh, the carpet out and I put Dynamat underneath See, the carpet. That would probably help. Just I did that to not, not a lot, but just like these these squares. I kind of just put them around on the rear of the car and rolled them on, and yeah. I put the carpet back. Sure, and that. That made a huge difference okay. because all the engine's right there and it's just kind of reverberating everything. Exactly. And so that's I, what I hear. Yeah. So I, t- I would highly recommend. I mean, you're adding weight, but the at the cost of, <laughs> you know, I'm driving across the country in this car. Yeah, driving into And before, so before I had the muffler I have now, I had another M&K muffler that was basically gutted out. 
Oh. There was nothing inside of it. It was a it was a cylinder with <laughs> with two exhaust ports coming out of it. Yeah. And I had uh, no rear seats, RSR carpet, the foam pad was gone, and I had no dynamat. And I did many, many, many thousands of miles in that. And I I would get out what? of the car. I would yeah. What? I would get out of the car and like start yawning. <laughs> My body's like trying to like equilibrium some of this stuff. But I when I saw I swapped to a new muffler that had baffles on the inside. Right. And put all that sound deadening stuff on there. It made it, Huge amount of difference, man. You should just pull all that stuff up, I throw some dynamite on there. I should do that. Because it shouldn't be all the exhaust is out of the back of the car. You right. should not and the be uncomfortable. Behind us too. You shouldn't need to wear earplugs in that car. No. You should not. I know. I think it must re- I think it's probably louder in the car than outside the car at some rev ranges. Wow, that's crazy. My yeah. car is like, holy cow, when you hear it outside, it's really loud. But yeah. it's like, oh, this is no big deal. Yeah, you'll have to drive that and let me know. Okay. But regardless, I've this only driven obvi- your car once, and that was before you did all the carburetor was, stuff. You're right, that was, it was before brand you, new. It was before you changed your Venturi's, before you got the exhaust. Yeah. I should drive it again. Yes, you should. Um, so regardless, this must have been on my mind last night because I had this dream. And the wife and I are in the 911. We're heading out to Road America. It's fun. It's loud. And suddenly... After being on the road for a while, it gets quiet. And I'm like very concerned in the dream. And Nikki's like, finally, it's so much quieter in here. And I'm like, yeah, but why? (laughs) And then it's still running and it sputters and dies. And I roll to a stop at the side of the road. And right in front of me is our friend shop SCI. And so. So in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. SCI is just Because it's there. in dreamland and nothing needs to make sense, right? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So you, Chad, and a couple other guys are sitting out there and they're like, oh, it's Jake, what happened? And so. <laughs> We're in our lawn chairs. <laughs> yeah, basically, we open the deck lid and not only is there a Volkswagen four cylinder where I expect to see the flat six. <laughs> wait, wait, which four cylinder? Like, like a Beetle four okay, cylinder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But my exhaust manifolds, quote, must have gotten plugged up. And I was like, that sounds strange, but Chad's a mechanic after all. So we unbolt the manifolds, which is really easy on a Volkswagen motor. And sure enough, they're packed full of leaves, which seems strange. So there we are pushing the car into the shop. My weekend's ruined and I need to get a ride home. And that's when I wake up. And I have to tell you, I almost ran down to the garage. Just to make sure someone didn't like, swap your engine out. Wait a minute. But I was like, no, that's that's stupid. The more I woke up, I was like, all right, that was just a dream. So that's what apparently I've been concerned about. You're concerned about reverting to a four-cylinder <laughs> yeah, driving like, around in a Oh, no, it's a 912. <laughs> so I thought uh, my car was overheating once. And this is when I was driving out to, I think it must have been Southern Worthersea. Yeah. And Jess was pregnant at the time. And oh, this no. is when my car was super loud. So she actually abandoned me and rode with someone else because my car was so well, awful. Well, at least you were with other people driving. Yeah, with other yeah. People. So she ended up in like a, a Mark Six wagon and I was driving just around. Air conditioning. She, yeah, she was she's pregnant. What can you say? I mean, yeah. it was I could not blame her. But my car was running really, really hot. And so I actually stopped at a Porsche dealership. Okay. I had him put it on the hoist and look and see if there was because this car was still relatively new to me sure and i hadn't had it up on a hoist i hadn't really looked at it that way yeah i said you need to look and see if all of the cylinders are packed with shit right i don't understand why this thing is so hot yeah and they said yep sorry no nothing is packed with shit you know this is just (laughs) the way it is and it was before i had an oil cooler on the front of my car oh so it was just and honestly i put an oil cooler on now it has it made some difference but not a ton but anyway, so I'm, I'm like, okay, well, how do I get this thing to cool down? It's summer. I can't drive over 60. This is awful. So I ended up popping the deck lid up yeah. to get some more airflow in there. That did nothing. Oh. And then I, <laughs> and I go, okay, maybe the gauge is wrong. Sure. Right? It's an engine swap. Maybe the gauge is incorrect. So I drive, pull off the freeway. I'm like, guys, just go ahead, whatever. Yeah. Pull off the freeway, go to a ride, buy one of those infrared thermometers. Yep. And I pointed it 
right at the temperature center. Yep. And I go, all right. That says 240 degrees. I look through the car. <laughs> what does the gauge say? 240 degrees. Uh-oh. It couldn't have been more. I'm like, freaking German accuracy. <laughs> it couldn't have been more accurate. And uh, honestly, the car drove really, really hot that whole time. I mean, just so hot. And it was summer in Kentucky and, and Georgia. It's, I don't. It's, so is it because it's a hopped up engine? Do you think that it runs a little hotter? So typically... I, any three liter and up engine would have had like at least a trombone cooler. Okay. And this was and this a three liter no engine cooler. that was just put in the car with no oil cooler I up gotcha. front at all. So it didn't have a Carrera cooler or trombone or the, 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 the Euro cooler with all the brass rolls that sure. I have now didn't have anything. I got gotcha. And I think I drove it so much, so hot that that's why I blew the engine up when I got home. Oh, because I also in the mountains, just flogged the hell out of the car. Yeah, of course. Just, just absolutely savagely beat it, chasing after this 20th anniversary GTI. Just like 250 <laughs> degrees. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. And well, you know, it's funny. Speaking of the gauge not working or thinking it didn't work, my car they had put in the wrong oil pressure sender. I don't know if you remember me telling you this. So my oil gauge would either be zero or pegged. Yeah. Zero pegged. Yeah, that's not good. No. And so I was like, oh my goodness. Was it the pressure relief valve? And so I remember I put on a mechanical gauge back there to watch. I was like, no, it's good. And then I looked into it, and there are two oil pressure senders on your engine. You have one for the idiot light. Yep. And you have one for the actual gauge. Well, they put two idiot light senders on there, which are literally just on off switches. Is it the red one? Is the red one the idiot light one or is it the other no, one? No, it's one is like a canister and the other one just looks like a yeah. little like sensor. Yes. Yeah. Like so a little video I replaced, thing. yep, the canister one and uh, lo and behold, I have great oil pressure. Well, that's always nice when you can fix your cars being broken when it's not actually broken right. by changing out a sensor. That's good. That's yes. Good. So. Let's move right along to your new car. Yeah, you saw it when I pulled up. What is it? It is a Volkswagen Golf R. Which is a Mark VI. Yep, so and 2012? We talked last, we talked, yeah, 2012. We talked uh, 2013. Okay. We talked last week about um, all the new cars I should get. Yeah. And one car that was not even brought up was this car. Well, yeah, it was uh, kind of an opportunity. It right? was. It was a little bit. So I, I was supposed to, some guy was going to come. Opportunity of circumstance. That's what I'm trying to think. Right. About. If you remember on Friday's episode, I had talked about um, some guy was going to come look at the car tomorrow. And this is Saturday. That's right. Yeah. So um, some guy's going to come look at it finally. Yeah, you were excited. And it was, he was going to come at 5 p.m. Uh-huh. And I got a call from Helton, my, uh-huh. my resident awesome. The dude is great. He is. I mean, I've, he is... Sent several people to go buy a car. Yeah, Helton is a great salesman. I can't recommend him enough. I hate going to car dealerships. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just like... Well, I now mean, you're spoiled, too, having worked with someone who is I, trustworthy. I've been buying honest. cars from this from Westside Volkswagen for 20 years. Hence why they were a sponsor. And they've, oh, yes. <laughs> and they've always been really good to us Yeah, as a family, really good to me. And Helton's always been great. Yeah. So anyway, he calls me and goes, hey, I think we can give you a little bit more for your for your wagon. He's like, what are you asking for it? I said 8500 and he's, they basically said, yeah, we'll give you that on trade-in. So, of course, I'm going to do that rather than deal with deal with the, the endless stream of yahoos. Industry, I find out later that this guy had a loan for the car, and he was going to buy it. 
Like he was going to buy the car and he was so sad. I I was heartbroken for him. I'm like, dude, I am so sorry. He's like, that's okay. There'll be more. I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry. It's just, it's so much easier. I don't have to deal with getting a check from him, sending the check to the bank, getting the the loan, the lien release, giving, finding this guy again, giving him the lien release. We can go get that. It's like I mean, all it's not, this. It's not that difficult. It's I've kind of a it pain. Several times in the last. Few or months. for the same price, I can just give it to the dealer and do nothing. Yeah. Which is significantly easier than. It's not. You don't know how hard a lien release situation is with a buyer until you know what the buyer's like. Sometimes they can true. be like, oh, That's we want to we want to do escrow. We want to put the money in an yeah. escrow account and have a contract. And it can be like a shit show. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, well, if they're going to give me the money, what have you got on the lot? Let's take a look around. And honestly, it was crazy. They're the number one Volkswagen volume dealer in, I think, in the nation. They yeah. do a huge amount of cars. Like, yep. just a ton, a ton of cars. And uh, their used department is no different. They they sell a ton of used cars. Right. And their volume is really high. I go over there. There's like empty spots on the lot. Oh, wow. And then I kind of started looking around the internet. Volume for used cars is down like 30%. Why is that? COVID. They no for for like a for like a month and a half or two month period, dealers weren't buying cars because they didn't know they didn't want to have a bunch of iron Inventory on the lot there, yeah. with, with that wasn't going to sell, yeah. right? Because then they basically don't pay cash for the cars. They finance the car, you right. know, just like not just like we do, but I think that they finance the car, and that's why you start to see the price tick down the lower it's on the lot. Yeah, is because they want to get rid of it because they're paying the interest on it. Yep. So they didn't want to have a bunch of that stuff on the lot. So there's nothing. Wow. It's, it's crazy to see like the lot with spaces open and there's still people buying cars. And I actually had a fight with another guy to get this car. A fist fight, Chris. It, a straight an on actual physical. Fist fight. Yeah, this guy had a flat bill hat and everything. No, <laughs> um, no, no, I did not have to. Uh, I did not have to fight the guy. But I went in there, and apparently this guy was also looking at the car, and he kind of was there first. Okay. So I had to sit there. And wait to see if this Were guy was going to buy the at him the whole time. I did look at him a few times, yeah. just without breaking stare, till he would break stare. Like yeah. I just stared at him till he, you know, you know, power move. Yeah. And uh, he was he was like some Ukrainian dude that totally couldn't beat the shit out of me. There's no <laughs> question about it. This dude would have owned me, and his dad was huge. I mean, his dad was a big dude, and he was with him. I'm like, wow, this isn't going to end well for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I ended up getting the car, and uh, I got a, I think I got a good deal on it. I think the it price is fair. Like, well, tell the, us the, the book price is very fair. I mean, okay. it's not like a screaming deal, but they no. ended up giving me. So I was asking eighty five hundred for my uh, the golf for the golf. And they were going to give me eight, and I said, "Well, can you can we talk about the you know with the yeah what the difference is? What, right? can, what can we do?" He's like, "Well, we'll bump the golf up to eighty eight hundred. So basically, it's I got the car for slightly below like Kelly Blue Book. Sure, it's a fair price for the car. Yeah, however, very much so. However, the reason I wanted this car is. It's got everything done that you'd want to ever have done. Yeah. And it's only got 30,000 miles on it. That's a good deal. For 2012. For 2012. Wow. Yeah. It's only got 30,000. So run us down the list here. What does this car have done? Um, it's got sport springs. Okay. Which is cool. It's lowered like an inch and a half or an yep. inch, uh, which it kind of isn't enough. It just maybe. It doesn't look lowered to me. It, it looks, looks good. It looks like factory lowered. Sure. Is what it looks like. It, yeah. it, could it looks be, like probably what a golf R should have looked like. It could be lower. I have coilovers that would work for the front, but I don't have coilovers that could work for the rear because I still have those KWs from my sport wagon back when. And those. I K- have a reciprocating saw. Uh, <laughs> they won't work in the rear because it's all wheel drive. And I think that the spring rates and everything are going to be different. I don't yeah, want to do that. I'm sure it would. I need to get some rear coilovers or just leave it also alternatively. Oh, that is probably the more, yeah. And uh, so it's got uh, it's got springs on it. It's got a rear sway bar 
okay. a big rear sway bar. The car oversteers a little bit, which is a lot of fun. Ooh. I kind of threw it into some corners a little bit, and yeah. it started to oversteer. I'm like, ooh, this is great. And then I started to correct for it. And then, of course, the traction just- control was like, ah! <laughs> you know, freaked out at me a little bit. And it's got a, uh, I don't know if there's any other suspension things done. No. So then it's stage two plus APR. Right. And, and these the things- primary thing that gets you is uh, a lot of power. Okay. Well, what, I was going to say all the fun features. Yes. Yeah. You have no lift shift, which, which is, is like. Which is so weird. I couldn't do it. Uh, just out of habit, I'm trying to shift without lifting the throttle because I drove it after yeah. you. And I just in- instinctively have like, oh, lift off throttle. Basically what it does is I hadn't really experienced it before is you just keep your foot to the floor. And as soon as you push the clutch in, the computer holds the, the revs the revs up, which is. So it's like launching out of every gear, basically. Yeah. Plus it keeps your boost up. Yep. You don't lose any boost, which is, I mean. It's, it felt nuts. It felt it sounded pretty cool. And it, really it has did. launch control. It has launch control, I which couldn't is figure it out. So you you launched it and I was like, oh yeah, that's really fast. So you're like, yeah. And then I drove it and I, launched it. I had it. you adjust the because I had the launch control set at four thousand RPMs. Okay. Conservatively. I'm like, that's probably a little bit low. So I had you set it for five. Yep. And, it, and I let her rip. <laughs> and we was, were both like, <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, Your face and reaction was awesome. Because <laughs> it, it a car feels faster when you're not in control of the car. Like if you're sitting on the passenger Absolutely. seat. Absolutely. And of course, it makes all the good noises with the boost and the you know, yep, and it's got an exhaust valve. on it. Yep, it's got some it's crazy. Not a, exhaust. It's not obnoxious though. No, it, no, no, it, it really great. is. Uh, and it has the uh, APR front mount intercooler okay. and an R line intake. So it has chip intake, downpipe back exhaust, yep. uh, front mount intercooler, <laughs> stage two plus uh, coilovers, or Jeez. I'm sorry, springs. I mean, it just kind of has like everything that you'd want to do without going too far. Right. Do you ever like, do you ever have a car, either if you're dreaming about it or like looking at a model, you're like, all right, now what would I do to it once I buy it? Right. Or in a perfect world and you kind of go down the list and do a lot of research. This is basically that car. It is. It has all the things that you want to do without going too far. Because you go too much farther than this and you start to go, okay, well, next thing you do is you're changing out the turbo. Mm -hmm. Then you're, you know, you're kind of going, okay, well now we're making another, this thing's probably 330 horsepower, 365, 375 I mean, it spins all four wheels. It does, which is crazy. You shift a second, it chirps all four. Yeah. Well, probably not all four. It probably chirps the front wheels. Yeah, before Haldex Kicks in in. and and throws everything into the back. Um, I I love the car. It's awesome. Um, One thing that I really like about this thing is I was thinking, I was thinking about how I was going to explain why I like this car. Obviously it's, 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 it feels youthful. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels spry, you know. It well, feels you're driving and spry. a hot hatch. It's a little it, two it door is. hot hatchback, right? And I haven't had anything like this in a very long time, in, in, at least in terms of Volkswagen community stuff, where you would drive around and you'd be in your like Rabbit or your Mark II and another Volkswagen that was kind of a sporty one would drive yeah, by. And you give guys, you a little like, thumbs up. You or... have like this affinity with. I was driving here, okay, and I'm just tootling around, like, you know, just kind of tootling around in six gear. And in my rearview mirror, I see a white Mark V R32 darting through traffic to catch up to me. <laughs> he pulls up next to me and gives me this thumbs yeah. up, you know. And I haven't had Porsche guys don't do this. No, at least not. I mean, air cooled guys will always give each other sure, thumbs up. But the newer water cooled Porsche guys, they're they too, just don't. They it's, don't. It's just it's yeah. not a it's not a community. Performance right. Volkswagens is a community. For it sure. always has been. Always has been. Yeah. And at least water cooled. I don't know about air cooled. I'm not into that scene. It's a different, it's a different scene. Not saying it's worse or better. I'm just saying it's different. Yeah. And I remember when I was in my my blue 911 and I saw a uh, a blue um what Jesus Christ, it's not a Carrera GT. What's the new thing? Oh, the 918. Yeah, 918. That's the one. And uh, I was 
don't know why I couldn't figure that out. I was driving. I'm like, oh my god, a blue nine eighteen. This is yeah. so cool. I got a blue nine eleven. Oh, you think I'm cool too? This oh, is awesome. Oh, this is gonna be great. And I kind of like I pull up next to him, and I can see him looking at me in his side mirror. Yep. As you're pulling up, you can see him kind of looking over. Yeah, right? and you're like, all right, uh, this is great. I'm gonna try and raise him. It's gonna be so fun. This is gonna be great. And I and I felt like I was 15. Yeah, right. And yeah. I, this is gonna be awesome. And I pull up next to him, and I'm kind of looking over. He wouldn't even look at me. No. He wouldn't even look at me. No. And I've waved at guys in like 991s and 997s. It's, yeah. They don't wave back. They don't get it. They don't understand why you're waving at them. They don't understand. However, you run into like a, if you see a GT3 driving around, it's a little bit different. Yes. It's a different crowd. It's the enthusiasts. It's the enthusiasts who understand the mark. Right. And it's, it's almost like driving around in a golf is like driving around in a 911 Carrera. Just in terms of the the, the people that are driving right, okay, them are, yeah. it's not. You're the, saying the, if you ran into a new golf on the street, you wouldn't assume that that person would get the Volkswagen they, thing. They wouldn't. They wouldn't it. give you a thumbs up. Right. Same, they don't care. I agree. And I, and like the 911 Carrera, that guy's not the. He likes the 911. He likes the way they look. He obviously likes the engineering, but he's not an enthusiast of the brand. Correct. Maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions to all of this, right? Yeah, oh yeah. There's exceptions, but I think just overall, I think there's this weird thing where the enthusiasts of the brand. And here's the thing: there's way more Volkswagen enthusiasts of the brand out there just because of the price point. Yeah, they're more attainable. And they're way more attainable than buying a $150,000 911. Yeah. You can buy like a, like I did a $20,000 Golf R and, and all of a sudden you're getting thumbs up. And I really like that. It made me, reminded me of back in the day when I would get that all the time driving around in whatever hot hatch I had. Yeah. And it made me feel younger. You know, <laughs> I, I just, it, it made me feel like it was. Because the know, young kids think you're cool again, Chris. No, it just made me feel, <laughs> it made me feel like I was the me from a long time ago. Yeah, it kind of harkened And back. I haven't had that feeling in a, in a very long time. And another thing I really like about the car is I don't feel like I'm being lied to at any point in this car. Okay. A lot of cars, um, they're trying to to alter the experience, whether that's piping the speakers in oh. or or having we're gonna put a turbo on this, but we're gonna make it so it does not feel like there's a turbo at all. Sure. We're gonna try and make it feel like this. Yep. Make it feel like a naturally aspirated engine. And we don't want anybody to be able to tell the difference. This car doesn't do any of that. Yep. It is what it is, and it presents itself to you. As if someone's bringing you a steak and they said, here, sir, here's your steak. It's it's medium rare. And you, it's not like you're cutting into it and you go, what the fuck? This is well done. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what it it's exactly what it purports to be. And I yeah. really like that about it's this car. It's not an ostentatious car either. It's not. Um, Which I like. It, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you drive around in like a GT3 or something. When, for example, when I was driving around in the the white uh 996 with the arrow kit. Yeah. I felt a little bit like, ooh, everybody thinks I'm an a-hole, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't really care what anybody thinks, but I was just kind of thinking, you know what it was? You know what I didn't like about that car? What's that? It was representing something that it wasn't. I yeah, think that's what bugged me. it's not a GT3. Me. Yeah, I think that's kind of what, well, it was an automatic Carrera. As well. <laughs> I think actually that's, it's not the that's, ostentatious yeah. part of it. That's probably what it was, yes. what, what bothered me. But yeah, because it doesn't. Because even, because people would like it and be like, oh, that's a cool oh, car. I and people then you'd like, no, 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 it's not. No, hey, it is roll not. down your window. It's actually not a cool the car. Guy, Let me explain to you why it's not a cool car. It's and just basically, it's, it it's automatic. Up. There's a guy, the guy that bought it has a, has a McLaren. <laughs> like uh, some McLaren thing, some P, who knows. And uh, some P. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. McLarens don't do anything for me. 620, yeah, 7, whatever. Yeah. So, oh, so it's 720S. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And he, I'm like, what are you buying this thing for? He's like, oh, I'm going to track it. And I just go, in my head, I'm like, dude, Tiptronic. 
or auto tragic. No, no, this is yeah. going to be the worst driving experience on the track that you've ever had in your life. Drive a bus instead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what he ended up doing with it. He didn't register the car till a year later. I got a thing. How a do year- you know? Because I got a thing that it was time to re-register the car because oh. my tabs were expiring. So I called the guy up. I'm like, are you going to register this car? Or it's been like a year. He's like, yeah, as soon as you fix the oil leak. I'm like, uh, that's not really my responsibility if it's leaking a year later because it wasn't leaking when I sold it to you. <laughs> that's how he responded. That's how he responded. And then he, he says, I go, you know what? I'm going to go to the DMV and report it. It's not done. And then lo and behold, it was yeah. it was done almost right away. So, you know, whatever. That's wow. kind of how it anyway, Love this car. Um, technically, I don't own it yet. Because <laughs> right. all the finance places were closed when I finally closed the deal on the car. So I got to go back on Monday and actually buy the car. And I... I could give you a super high interest rate right now, personally. Yeah, thanks. No, I'll pass. I'll pass on that. <laughs> Although it's going to be very difficult for you to, to repo the car since you don't have a system for that. So let's do it. You can, <laughs> you can try and figure out the code to my garage. <laughs> you just see you standing at there. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Uh, <laughs> I have a couple guesses, actually, that might be it. Yeah, you probably actually, <laughs> you do know exactly what it is. All right, All so right. we get into our main section, which we haven't even revealed what it is We yet. did mention shortly it was a uh, the greatest bar, 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 bar finds. Bar finds. <laughs> is that where Let you me met your wife? <laughs> I was greatest. Out, I went biking last night. There was, and we were just sitting outside the bars. We went downtown Minneapolis and I biked 20 miles. I'm wasted. My yeah. ass hurts like you would not believe. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we parked our bikes and we just were sitting outside. A lot of the businesses are closed, but a lot of the bars are open. We're like sitting on the, on the stoop of some of these closed bars, just walking or looking around. Yeah. People watching. Yeah. 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 There's some, there's some, there's some good bar finds. There's some great bar finds right, out there. Well, that's right not now. what we're talking about. We're talking about barn finds. Barn finds. Okay. Barn find cars of all time. But okay, I have no notes on this whatsoever, yeah, no, so I'm just, just going to hang out. Just sit back and relax. All right, before we get to that, though, we have to take a moment to talk about Oberk Car Care. Oberk is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and supplies that is researched, tested, and developed by professional detailers themselves. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and any oxidation you find on your vehicle's paint. Right now, Oberk is offering 20% off any order online with the code OVERCREST. Discount code is not only good on OberkCarCare.com, but also on CarSuppliesWarehouse.com and DetailedImage.com. Chris, you might have to uh, put this to work on your new Golf R. I didn't take a look at the paint, but... It's, it's nice, but I am going to go over it. I do have some yeah. Oberk stuff. I'm going to go over the car with it's it. It's a great product. It's easy to use. It's really foolproof. It's a two-step system. That's what I love about it. Check these guys out. Um, so, you know, when we were driving the car, before we get into your thing, sorry, I was thinking about this, is, uh, remember when you said it sounded like you're tearing something? I imagine, like, cause just because of the boost pressure being Yeah, the boost to, was going in. It just had a different it's boost just, sound to it's it. Just, it's just, it's, yeah. And you said it sounded like tearing paper. I'm like, yeah, but that's too tinny. I'm like, it sounds more like if you're tearing a phone book in half. That's yeah. that's what that sounds yeah. like. That's and big it, boost. Yeah, it's a big boost. <laughs> thing runs 24 pounds of boost yeah, the stage 2 good. plus with a KO4. Yeah, stock the, engine. The stock is 11 pounds. Yeah. It's, that's a big increase. It's wild, man. It is it is the, easily the I'm trying to think if there's anything faster that I've owned. I don't I think this is the fastest car I've owned. Wow. I wonder if once I get the carbs on the 911 I was going to say where do you think this is compared to the 911? It's faster. Okay, it's faster. The reason I know it's faster, here's how I know. Okay. I raced my buddy who has a Subaru Forester with an STI swap. Oh. And it's got cob tuning on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fast. The Golf R was slightly faster than him. Oh, really? Just just 
slightly. I mean, it was Did not you go a huge. From a dig, you launched. No, this was from like. <laughs> this was. <laughs> this is from seventy to one eighty. <laughs> this was probably from about fifty to one hundred and thirty. And, and it was. So this was just yesterday. This was yesterday in Mexico. Yes, yes right. And right. Uh, and it was close. I mean, by the time we were done, he was about two car lengths behind me, which is not a lot, which is not a lot. No. But the thing is, you, I'm going to get a speeding ticket yeah. because you get to that. You get to those speeds very quickly. I mean, it, it, you're up there. With, As one of our guests said before, I remember this quote, Chris, you don't realize how fast you're going until something goes wrong. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that was that was my interview I did for Triple Zero. That wasn't one of oh, our that's guests. What it was. Oh, that yeah. was such a good quote. <laughs> it is a great quote. You don't realize how fast you're going until you screw up. That's yeah, that's what okay. it was. Well, yeah. We, you ever notice that you're you ever been driving down the road and go, I'm going 70 miles an hour. This feels totally not fast. But then you imagine what it would be like to all of a sudden be in the ditch, rolling over at that speed, and you're hurtling 3,000 pounds of steel through the air. It yeah. totally changes the perspective on all of it. But anyway, to to quote Chris Stapleton. One of my favorite country singers, Chris. Oh, my god! Fallen feels like flying till you hit the ground. That's more like Jeremy Clarkson. It's not the speed that kills you. It's the stopping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So here's how I know it's faster than my 911. Okay. Is that Subaru is faster than my 911. Because you've raced that. Because I've raced that. I mean, it's not like outrageous. Yeah. But it's it's kind of similar in the, the my the Golf R is faster than the Subaru in the way that the Subaru is faster than I am. But I'm probably going to gain, you know, 20 horsepower from the carbs. Okay, well, let's do an all-wheel drive launch with launch control. I'll be in that, and you can be in the 911 trying to get traction. Let's see how that works. Just get to The 911s are pretty good from a dig. (laughs) They are. With the rear engine. They're actually good, but I've got all-season tires on the thing. It just just rips the tires if you do that on on that thing, which is good because I'd rather rip the tires than rip the differential. Good point. Again. Good point. (laughs) All All right, right. what have we got? Best barn finds of all time. All right, first, Can I include mine? You can. We'll get, okay. We can go to that. But first, I want to tell you a story. So okay. let me get through the story here. Okay. So for anyone even remotely interested in classic cars, there's a concept, this myth that holds a universal appeal. It's mostly the stuff of fantasy, a dream that you're through the grapevine of your friend's grandpa's brother who just passed away but had some old car tucked away somewhere in his property. And that's usually how it starts. I feel like those some, cars are, those cars are almost like broken promises. Yes. You know, they get, these cars get a lot of, I imagine when I was driving across the country, you see these cars that are out next to garages and out next to houses and they're just kind of there and they're, they're gone, right? They're rusty. They're gone. Sure. They're disintegrating into the ground, but you know that it was not always like that. That's true. And these cars that are parked out next to garages and stuff like that. At one point, a guy made a promise to himself or to his father. Oh yeah. Yeah. This says I'm gonna fix this car up. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a special car next year. And so years go by. What you'll and like. Promises get broken, and then they're just there. Here's what you'll like about this list, Chris. I only included ones I could dig up the story on. Okay. Okay. So you will learn exactly what happened. Great. Why these cars basically sat there. All right. Continue your story. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we talked about, that's usually how it starts. You get some obscure information from someone who doesn't really get the appeal usually, right? So it's just enough to get your imagination rage thing. This old car is usually told to be in, quote, I don't know, really good condition. And I don't remember what kind of car it is. It's, it's something cool, I think. You know, suddenly, Chris, your thoughts run away from you. What could it be? An old Ferrari, an E-type Jag, an old original 911? As you pry for more information from this poor acquaintance who seemingly couldn't care less, your fantasies are only reinforced, right? Um, 
yeah, I don't know what it was, but it was a two-door. And, you know, he always liked those foreign cars. Yes! That's always the tip-off if yes! you're that kind of That's guy. That's yeah. it. It has to be some sort of a like a 911 or a 246 Dino or at the least some obscure Alfa Romeo. Or even like a, like a Civic Si or See, just anything. Cool anything old that's... So the next few weeks of this hypothetical but all too familiar sounding story are a whirlwind. Tracking down the friend of a friend's family member who has access to the barn, trying to schedule a time, and finally driving halfway across the state to see this mystery car that will no doubt be the deal of the century. Six hours, four Red Bull, and five packs of beef jerky later. What is it about the deal that really gets us going? Oh, because you feel like you're... even Whether you're a flipper or you're buying it for yourself, it's the, for some reason... You feel like you win. Yeah, you feel think, like you've won. I think right? that's probably it. Yeah, because if it's not a good deal, you didn't win. The other guy won. He got right. too much for it. Yeah, yeah, it's a battle of wits. Yeah, so here you are driving halfway across the state or country, depending on how. Well, hopefully, good it's of a not deal five Red Bulls is. halfway across the state because you're going to be. Yeah, I'll take it away. <laughs> when you get there. <laughs> Regardless, you pull down that gravel driveway that will reveal your future most prized possession. Finally, the creaking doors to the barn door are slid open, and the sun hits that dusty cover, hiding the unmistakable curves of a classic car. As you slowly saunter over, trying to desperately hide your excitement, you can't give it away. No, 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 no. You can't play your hand. No. Your nose is pierced by that unmistakable... You gotta, like, raise your cheek up. Eh, I don't know about it. This is a... (laughs) It's not looking good. But then you smell it. Your, your nose is pierced by the unmistakable smell of old gas, weathered rubber, and decades of dust. Any sane person would find these smells repulsive, but to us, it smells like undiscovered potential. Once again, you're reminded of all these stories you've heard over the years of classic race cars with priceless heritage being found tucked away somewhere in the Midwest. You know where the value is in this stuff? For me? Where? For some people, the value is they see they that barn opens up and it looks like Scrooge McDuck's like little place where he dives in the yeah. money from DuckTales or whatever. And he's he's swimming in the gold bar in the gold coins and everything right. like that. That's what most people see when they sure. see that. For me, I see a story. Yeah. I see a story to be written. I see I see myself in the car. I see when I'm dreaming about this stuff, I don't see the flip. No. I, I see it for myself. You might after I get through the prices some of these cars go for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But just think, Chris, finally it could be you who gets to tell this story. And not able to hide your enthusiasm any longer, you grab the old canvas cover and slide it off the sharp silhouette to reveal the classic in its all its glory. Finally, the days, weeks, and months of anticipation are over. As the dust settles, the sun brightly reflects off the chrome headlight bezel, and you finally the pitted get to take chrome in, headlight no, bezel. No, you finally <laughs> get to take in what was hiding in that barn for over thirty years. A nineteen seventy eight Chevy Chevette. <laughs> no! That would be a, see for me. I would be happy with that. <laughs> that would work for me. I would be so happy to find a barn find Chevette. That would be great. Give it to or, like, or a barn find Dot Colt. Like any like oh. as long as just I don't care. I just it's the, for me. It's the story and it's the adventure and everything you talked about talked about leading up to that and the yeah. 
I just it's the anticipation. It is the anticipation. It's uh it's like pleasure delaying with your uh with your significant <laughs> other. You know, you're just you're sitting there always today. I, is, I, don't is never, the, I don't ever do that. Ooh, you should do that. <laughs> pleasure delaying is is fantastic. It works with cars too. All right. So while I'm sure the majority of these barn find hopefuls end in disappointment, there are a few rare exceptions that, however unlikely, keep the dream alive. Okay, so hold on. What are some cars that would disappoint you? If you think it's amazing, here's the thing. The more information you have, the clearer the picture becomes, right? right. And so if you found it's some cool Alfa Romeo, they didn't import yeah. many of them. And it's in, you know, it's been sitting there for 30 years. It's on blocks. The guy took care of it. And then you get there and you have this expectation, but it's just rotted. It's completely yeah. like nothing salvageable on it. Yeah, that it's would just be like a balloon going. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, but in this story where you don't Sad know, trombone sound. in this story where you don't know what it is, what would be disappointing to peel back the cover on? I don't know. It has to be just some it's, lame because it's whatever it is. It's still going to be old, right? To fit the bill of the story, and it's got to be like some sort of time capsule. Yeah, I don't think anything would disappoint me. Really, I can't think of even cars that are lame. It would still like even if it was, yeah. My uh, my grandpa had this 1989 Mercury Grand Marquis, and he hasn't driven it in 30 years. It sat there. It needed a needed a rear main seal, and we just never got around to doing it. Right. Okay. It, if it's like some like crazy <laughs> car that's got like 50,000 miles on it that nobody's driven in 30 years, you would be. I would be like, this is neat. This yeah. is neat. There's a difference between neat and amazing. Right. Right, obviously, if he pulls back the cover and it's a, a 77 Volkswagen Rabbit, you know, or a, like a, even better, like a 74, 75 Swallowtail, right? You're like, oh my God. And you're just like, you just fill your pants with an enormous erection immediately. You're just like, yes, this is the one. That's going to be way cooler than a Finding a Mercury Grand Marquis. Right. But I don't think there's, it's still neat. There's anything that could disappoint me. Okay. How about this? It's that 74 Swallowtail. Yes. They pull the cover back and they go, all right, we know what we have, so we want $55,000 for it. Yeah, that would be... It's really hard in today's day and age to... to Come to, across. To something. come across any kind of deals or anything like yeah. that. You know, you almost have to find a guy that lives in northern Minnesota that just has a flip phone. I know one of those guys. Yeah, we're going to go see him. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a great this is going to be a great story. That's actually the story that we're supposed to be doing right now, but we're going to go see a guy. We want to we want to make it a bigger thing than just a phone. Yeah, yeah. He's got a he's got a flip phone and um he's got a bunch of stuff and we want to go see him. He's got a really really cool story. Yeah, he's got a um, that's the best part about it. Is none of his stuff. It's the great story. Chris is just, since I brought this up and explained to you what's going on, you're just thinking, you go, let's bring cash when we go there. I can just see the the warehouse. (laughs) I can just, in my mind, I can see the warehouse with the door sliding open. He goes, well, quote, I'll show you around my pole barn where I got a bunch of junk too. I'm like, yes, I can see the dust particulates like floating down and with the sun rays shining through onto the 74 Swallowtail that this guy (laughs) does not own. (laughs) All right. Well, here they are, Chris, the greatest barn finds in history, according to me. The first car on my list wasn't found in a barn at all. Are we doing 10 to 1 or is this just a Uh, list? the, The number of cars is debatable on this list. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. The first car on my list here wasn't found in a barn at all. And if it sounds familiar, it's because we did a full in-depth story on this and a whole episode on it last year. So, in December of 1974, 
A California man reported his two-month-old Ferrari Dino 246 GTS had been stolen. Two months. That's it. That's all you get. It's brand new. Two months. According to the police report, the car had vanished without a trace. And the owner claimed the insurance money, and that was the end of the story. Some four years later, however, the story goes that two young boys were playing in the dirt in their backyard, and they hit something metallic. Further digging revealed a car roof. And when the police arrived, the missing Dino was exhumed. Talk about a shallow grave. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It was said to have been in remarkably well-preserved, all things considered. What's crazy is that the, my barn find was, a, was like a, was a rabbit that had been sitting in a field for 17 years. I've told this story, so I don't need to retell it. But I saw it off the corner of my eye. I'm like, right. kept seeing it. And I finally went up and bought the car from the guy for 250 bucks. But That was buried in the dirt. It was. It was up to the, past the rocker panels in mud. Okay. Right, which means it was on the floor and everything. Zero rust on the car, on any of the bottom <laughs> of the car, because it had been preserved in the dirt. There was no oxygen in there to yeah, go suppose. through and rust everything. So it didn't, it was in just, the floors were great. The Everything, there was zero rust anywhere on the car, miraculously. Wow. And that's probably this situation too, is yeah, oxygen I, is a big part of rust, right? Yes, it is. And I, if you go back last year and find the story that we did, it was during uh, the three or four years of drought when skateboarding was basically invented in California because all the pools were drained due to the drought. And so yep. everyone started skating in their pools. That was when this was buried. And so okay. there's like just no moisture in right. the ground at all. And so the story goes that it was fairly well preserved. Fast forward several years and ignoring several very important details of the story that we go in depth to on the episode. And we find that the car's current owner had the car fully restored and wears a vanity plate that reads dug up. Perfect. Our second car wasn't even a barn find either on our list, but its story and provenance should make up for it. Hold on a second. What I think we should probably define barn find. Yes, because I defined it and then my list went to shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the concept of barn find doesn't mean, obviously barn find you think of the, um, it's in some farmer's barn. Here's, here's kind of an interesting story. This is, this is what I think of when I think barn find is my family grew up in Belle Plaine, Kansas, okay. which is a very small town with the water tower in the middle and the community pool, you know, near the water tower okay. and all dirt roads throughout the, all the neighborhoods, very old farming community. And that's where my family comes from. Okay. And my, we went down there with my grandfather and a few other family members to check out like the old Cluel homestead. That's cool. And uh, which is obviously owned by someone else now. And we walked, we were walking around. He's like, oh yeah, this is where I used to, you know, like do this and do that. And, you know, wheel a, wheel a hoop around with a stick and all the other fun <laughs> stuff that they, that they did back then. This is where I, you know, this porch here is where I slept. There's no air conditioning, wow. no heat out here, but we, we, we made it work. Anyway, so we're going into the back and we, we walk around the corner and not kidding, there's a barn and then there's this little like... Uh, like an overhang. Like an overhang, side. like a wooden overhang with some, you know, sh shoddily done. Not, sure. Not done well. And, you know, he's got all kinds of stuff leaned on it, tractor wheels and stuff like that. But tucked in it, in this little carport thing that this guy had made, was like a uh, a Mustang Mach 1. Like oh, a wow. 70, what is that, 73? Yeah. So, like a 73 Mach 1. It was a yellow with the, with the black racing stripes. Yep. And it was just covered in dust to the point where you could almost not see what color it was. 
And of course, I'm like, this is my moment. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, this is my moment. Oh my God. Oh my God. I've, this is my barn find opportunity. I was like, my I started sweating yeah. and like getting this nausea feeling from like this adrenaline endorphin rush. I'm not kidding, man. It was, it was this emotion that was, and I've never had it any other time is seeing this. I'm not a Mustang guy, but that car is cool. Yeah. You know, the quad headlights in the front and everything. Yep. Oh my God. It was, it is so cool. The fastback with, I mean, yeah. Fucking hey, that car was cool. And uh, it had the original wheels on it, the little, cr the chromy hubcap looking things. And the tires were flat. It was just on the ground. Car was in great condition, even though it was just sitting there. So I, I'm like, <gasps> I don't remember what this guy's name was, but I'm like, Bob, <laughs> what the fuck is this car doing here? He's like, yeah, that's my, that's my Mach one. I'm like, I will buy it right now. What do you want for this car? Yeah. He's like, you've got to get in line. There's a lot of other people that I'm like, yeah, but I'm here now. I will go get the money now, right now. I will do it now. He's like, I can't. I promised it to other people. I'm like, you don't have to tell him. You don't have to tell him. Just tell him someone stole it. In my, and uh, I just, God, man, it was just such a lost opportunity. I bet it, I almost guarantee you. It's still, you know, I wonder if there's a way for me to put up a Google search that'll tell me when this dude dies. Like when the obituary pops up there in the thing go. where you I can drive do down to Bell Plain yeah. and get this Mach 1 that was just sitting. I mean, that, man, what a missed opportunity that was. I know. Wow. But that's what I, when I think barn find, that's the quintessential barn find, yes, right? Yes, it is. But it's not always what you think of when you think of barn find. No, When it's someone not. says, oh, barn find, it could be. It could be a garage in a suburban neighborhood. Yes. It could be like uh, the guy with his um, his AMC Javelin that's parked in his garage next to behind his house yep. in the middle of nowhere. Garage find means many different things. The common thread here in the way I would define it is the car has been sitting for numerous years. And it's not like it's been restored and sitting there. It's just kind of slowly not rotting away because a lot of these are in good condition still, but just sitting. Yeah. Sadly. I think almost forgotten. What's What's interesting is I don't know if you've had any projects that you've had long enough to experience this, but when you have projects that sit, when, when you're working on something, you're really excited about it, yep. right? You're just, you're on it, you know? And at some point, if you stop working on things, you start to lose the passion for the project. 100%. You start to kind of drift, no matter how passionate about the project you were, you start to drift. And that's why you, I think you see a lot of people that have projects that are for sale, like project for sale. No one starts a project that they're doing an LS swap and a whatever, Right. And, and put all this money into it and get going on thinking it. Thinking they're going to sell it. Thinking they're going to sell it with, without a huge amount of passion. Right. And when you stop working on things, you kind of drift away. And after 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, it's not even something you think about every day. I think about my 911 every single day. <laughs> but but if, that new lawnmower. Yeah. Ooh. But I think about the car every single day. But I guarantee you, if that car was at the body shop for a year or two years, some projects take a long time. Yeah. Like if it was a full resto, you know, right. you would lose it. You would lose the passion for the project and you kind of drift away from it. Just like an old friend that you haven't seen in many, many years. There's friends that, you know, I used to call one of these, one of my friends, um, his birthday was the same as mine. And we would always try to beat each other to calling each other, you know, <laughs> first on their birthday. Pretty soon yeah. we're calling at like, as soon as the thing would hit 12, happy birthday! You know, it's, <laughs> hang it's, <up. laughs> hang up. you know, it's, it, but now we don't talk anymore. Yeah. It used to be this thing where, you know, he was in my wedding, you know, and, wow. and you just, you drift away from these people. And I think the people do the same thing with cars. And I think that's how these barn finds happen. For sure.
Well, my Hummer almost became a barn fine <laughs> yes, if I didn't sell did. it. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, I'll tell you this next story by telling you that... Bold- I think out of, sorry. I think out of sight is also an important thing. Yes. Right. Barn finds are almost always out of sight. Right. Whether they're covered in pile with magazines or they're in a barn. Yeah. Nobody has a barn find. That Sitting they, on the front row. Like, yeah. yeah. You don't walk when you hit the garage door opener and walk in. You don't see the barn find every day. <laughs> That's right. And our next one. I'm not I interrupting will, you this time. Okay. Go ahead. I was waiting. I was waiting for it to come there. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. All right, Chris. You see, Bullet is regarded by many as one of the greatest car chase movies of all time. Even though I don't think you even put it in your greatest movies of all time episode. Greatest movie cars of all time. No, because the car didn't have personality, really. It's a great car. It would probably be one of the number one, if not the number one, car chase in a movie. Right. Just because it inspired so much from there on out with right. car scenes. Before that, car chases were super funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right? They right. were like comical car chases. <laughs> Yeah, and the guy's got the big siren on the top of his car. Yes, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Herbie's bouncing around, or whatever. And then, but the, uh, but with the, yeah, with Bullet, Bullet was it was iconic. It was very serious and serious. I mean, it was clearly a life and death situation. Yeah. The car chase was, yeah. and that was the first time that ever had happened in cinema. Yeah, that's why right. that's important. The car itself, as a, as a, as a movie car, I think the character in that movie was the car chase itself and what mm. it represented. Not necessarily uh, the car could have been other things you know i think the car as a character probably was matched steve mcqueen in the fact that it was a very boiled down car very simple looking and you have that type of thing but i guess we don't really need to rehash the movie car thing go ahead with your no well for a lot of people it was extremely iconic as the movie car and after bullet ended filming the famous mustang was actually sold to a warner brothers employee robert ross before it spent several years with an actual detective and you just know that this detective watched Bullet every night, just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's yeah, me. I've I'm, got Frank, that I'm Frank Bullet. Yeah, now we got the car. So that guy had it for a while playing detective. And then he sold it to one Robert Kiernan in New Jersey. Now, it was during Mr. Kiernan's ownership that Steve McQueen himself had repeatedly attempted to buy the car back. McQueen was said to have become quite fond of the car during filming and all but begged Kiernan to sell him the car. Here's McQueen's letter to him. Dear Mr. Kiernan, again, I would like to appeal to you to get back my 68 Mustang. I would like very much to keep it in the family in its original condition as it was used in the film rather than have it restored, which is simply personal with me. I would be happy to try to find you another Mustang similar to the one you have if there is not too much money involved. Otherwise, we'd better just forget about it. (laughs) With kindest regards, I remain very truly your Steve McQueen. Screw you. I'm yours. Basically, yes. (laughs) Screw you. So it seems sad then that after Mr. Kiernan so forcefully refused to sell the car, that in 1980, when the Mustang's clutch went out at only 65,000 miles, that the car was simply parked. It was during the next three to four decades that the car seemed to have disappeared to history. Kiernan moved to his family uh, in Cincinnati in 1984 and brought the Mustang with them. And then a decade later, the Kiernan moved again to Florida. The Mustang then vacationed at a friend's home in Kentucky. Vacationed, I like how they put it that way. (laughs) Basically, he stored it in Kentucky at a friend's house until Robert called for it the following year and moved it to his family in in Nashville, Tennessee. And it wasn't until 2001 that Robert and his son, Sean, were inspired to get the Mustang running and driving again after being inspired by the release of the first Ford Mustang Bullet Edition production car. 
Can you imagine seeing like, oh, wow, they're doing a, a production bullet Mustang? Wait, we have that car. And again, with the Scrooge McDuck jumping around in the money. Yeah. I'm guessing what they saw at that point. Exactly. However, Robert contracted Parkinson's disease, and the Mustang was obviously no longer a priority. And after Robert's passing in 2014, his son, Sean, got the Mustang roadworthy once again. Then in 2018, he displayed the car at the Detroit Auto Show next to the unveiling of the third-generation Bullet Edition Mustang. I, I would have liked to have seen that car. Yes. I think it would be phenomenal to see it. Yeah, over the following couple of years, Sean uh, then showed the car at a couple different venues. I took pictures of Steve McQueen's truck once. What was his truck? It was like a, I don't know, like an old Ford, you know, like an old Ford truck. Okay. Like 30s. Okay. 30s, 40s. And I remember sitting in it and just being like, Steve McQueen probably got a blowjob in this truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's where your head goes. Uh, he's just, and I'm holding on to the steering wheel. Like, Man, this, the king of cool was in this, yeah. was in this truck. Yeah. And I had an interesting conversation with, uh, with Joshy Robots, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, on, kind of on the, just talking about Porsche culture in general. And there's two types of people. People that... Imagine other people getting blowjobs. No. Yes. Well, yes. But, uh, <laughs> no, there's two types of people. People that um, idolize Steve McQueen because it's Steve McQueen. Okay. And there's two people that like Steve McQueen because of what Steve McQueen liked. Hmm. Like the, the the cars that he liked were cool. And Do you think it's because cool. you can identify with his tastes? I, I probably can identify with his tastes. But is but that what makes him interesting and cool? To me, yes. To other people, they just like the fact that he was in the movie Le Mans. They put the posters all over their garage with the with the diamond plate toolboxes and stuff like that. <laughs> I think you've got those two types of people that gotcha. are into the type of thing. Yeah. So though the bullet Mustang is in rough condition, many of the touches identifying it as a film car still remain, including welded on camera mounts, custom exhaust system fabricated to actually make it quieter during filming, and the Bondo slathered door, an impromptu repair after an onset on-set accident. Yeah. Uh, the engine was rebuilt, and only the minimal repairs needed were carried out. And just last year, the car was put up for auction, fetching an eye-watering $3.74 million. It's an icon. Here's what's interesting, though. Basically, any... Who has it now? Some, some dude? Some dude? Is, some is, it just, is it basically a barn find now in now this dude's warehouse with exactly. a bunch of other crap? Yes. That's my understanding. Uh, what's you know interest- what I would do if I had that car? I would immediately it. take it to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And just drive around with sunglasses on and just, oh, my God, it would be <laughs> so rad. Oh, man, it would be cool. Yeah, wear a tweed. Uh, I just wear a wig. Like, yeah, you wear a yeah, wig and, like, get the glasses and yeah. just drive around and just oh, see. Oh, my God, it. people would just make fun of you so bad. Oh, it would be amazing. Oh, no. Just do burnouts at every intersection. <laughs> well, speaking of Steve McQueen, basically any car that Steve McQueen has owned sells for millions. Yeah. A His 19, 911 was. Uh, there's a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTL Lusso, which once was owned by the actor, garnered 2.3 million when a standard Lusso is worth 700,000. A 67 Ferrari 275 GTP4 was purchased new by McQueen, and that brought over 10 million at auction, which is double what other cars would have otherwise fetched. The 911 you mentioned went for I forget how many millions of dollars. Well, it's it's the emotion that I had when I sat in that truck, which sold for I don't know, like sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, did not sell for much. It's like an F one hundred or whatever those. Well, old it trucks still are. is getting more than double what it otherwise would, just because it has Steve McQueen's name on it. Yeah, and I was sitting. It, maybe it was a Chevy. God, I don't remember. I don't know anything about old trucks. I'm just sitting in it, going, "Yeah, wow, this was Steve McQueen was here. Yeah, he was here in this place that I am right now." 
And I, I mean, that seems silly because he's gone, but there's like this enigma, intangible thing that kind of goes along with it. For sure. While we're on the topic, our next car should get an honorable mention on the list. Let's call this number 2.5 out of our list, two and a half. You see, there are actually two Mustangs used in filming Bullet. The Hero Car, which is the one we just talked about, and the Stunt Car. Now, the Stunt Car had long been thought lost, victim to the scrap heap, or it was crushed immediately because... Yeah, it got broken in half, probably. Yeah, it was, like, crashed several times during filming, you know, right when we saw it, let alone what happened afterward. That was thought to be the case until Ralph Garcia came across a car in a Mexican junkyard. This, this one was white when they found it, right? Yes. He was looking for a Mustang shell to build into an Eleanor tribute, the car from Gone in 60 Seconds. The car he found was completely stripped with faded white paint. However, a few telltale signs made Ralph pause for a second thought. The bare chassis had reinforced strut towers, and holes drilled in the body, which were later found to have been used to mount additional lighting during filming. Suspecting this car may have had some sort of interesting past, I imagine his head probably went to, like, racing or something, yeah. right? Uh, Ralph set the chassis number to Ford specialist Kevin Marty. What they found was unbelievable. There in a Mexican junkyard, stripped bare, no engine, no trans, just the chassis, was now the long-lost bullet stunt car. Seeing how much the hero car had recently gone for at auction, the stunt car is, no surprise, undergoing a full restoration. Yeah, I bet it is. Well, the thing is, is that uh, the big difference is the bullet car, the original one, didn't need it was, to be restored. It was original. Yeah. This, had an engine rebuild, this, and that's This it. restored is, is like, who cares? Not as cool. It's not anywhere near as cool. It I just love that it's found somehow in a Mexican junkyard. Yeah, that's, that's weird. But I just, it's, when these guys take these cars, they're completely nothing, and... Basically, this, oh, it's got this VIN number on it. The only value of the car is the fact that it has this VIN number because everything else is gone. I know. Flame. So moving along on our list, Chris, this next story is almost beyond belief. Some of the some people call this the holy grail of barn finds. We're up to number three on our list if you're counting. So this story now makes up cars three through 84. On your list? Yes. Okay. Because that's what? the property of one Henry Ruggieri, who died in 2018 at the age of 80, was found to contain not one, but 81 classic cars. The property was located in France, where the eclectic collector kept a literal horde of cars, comprised mostly of American, Italian, and German post-war cars. There was also a few French and Japanese models. The bulk of the cars were Peugeots and Citroëns, but also included a Jaguar E-Type, a 1953 Porsche 356 Pre-A model. Jeez. A Lancia Flaminia. And the most prized, a completely original, numbers-matching 1968 Lamborghini Miura. Ooh. <laughs> all of it was auctioned off. It was red. It was that orange-red. Yeah. Super awesome. Yeah. It's like all original. Looks amazing. So I won't delve too much, but 81 cars? Just locked away on this guy's property. What a waste. They said it was five different, like, basically outbuildings just filled. The dude had a problem. Yeah, for it's sure. Just, all these cars just atrophying away. Yeah. Number four on our list, or 86, if we're actually counting. It got, it's almost uh, like a serial killer type of thing. Yeah. Like, you're taking all these cars hoarding. and you're hoarding them all and They're, locking no them away. <laughs> They're them. like at just like It's like putting a child in the closet and then not feeding them, but, like, looking at them every once in a while. <laughs> It's, wow, that got dark. Oh, man. These, these dudes, they collect all these cars, and they just sit there. It's just it is weird. Stupid. Yeah, it is. All right, so next up, again, comes from Europe. Matthew Lemur and Pierre Novichov. 
knew that there were treasures behind the doors of the old Belgium shed, but it took some doing. You see, after convincing the owner to let them take a look, they labored away cleaning the entrance of hundreds of pounds of rain-sodden sandbags. When they were finally able to open the doors, they found not one, but three priceless Bugattis. The beautiful cars had belonged to Dutch sculptor and Bugatti devotee, August Thomasin. Now, the cars had been sitting in the barn since the end of the 1950s, lying there untouched, never driven, for the better part of 60 years. So why had they been just laying there for so long? Well, Thomason, being a sculptor, was said to have valued the cars more for research and inspiration more than anything else. Like his own personal Pinterest of Bugattis, but in real life? No, he's a sculptor, so I think he goes out there and just like looks at That's the That's what shapes. I mean. That's what people do with Pinterest. Oh, all right. So it's cooler than Pinterest. This is a lot cooler yeah. than Pinterest. <laughs> uh, the standard of the trio was a Type 57 Bugatti Cabriolet wearing Kotrick Bar Graber one of just nine produced and discovered with all its original mechanical components, dashboard, instruments, it was all there. Just nuts. The last car on my list warrants an entire story to itself, which, Chris, I will be coming out with next month. Awesome. Like a Patreon? Or, or maybe a full deal. Okay. But either way, I've decided I'm doing an entire story on this car. Carol Shelby developed the Cobra Daytona Coupe for a singular purpose, to beat Ferrari. Yeah. At the time, American cars weren't very competitive, says Fred Simono, the current owner of the greatest barn find in history. Quote, if you look at history of sports car racing, America had contributed very little by then compared to England, Italy, Germany, and even France. The Daytonas changed that. In 1965, Shelby finally took first place, the first ever American racing team to do so taking nine of 12 events in their class with crucial wins and yet more historic races, such as the 24 hours Daytona itself, which is where they named the car after, the Grand Prix of Monza, the grueling 1,000-kilometer race at the Nürburgring-Lorderschleife, and the 24 hours Le Mans. Shelby had finally beaten Ferrari, and so the legend of the Cobra Daytona Coupe was born. The prototype car that Shelby had built remained the only one made in America. Five more were sent as frames to Medina, Italy, right under Ferrari's nose, where the bodywork was then completed quickly. That prototype car, though, chassis number CSX2287, was therefore already special. It was the only one made in America. It was also lucky, surviving a fire while refueling at Daytona in 1964, an incident which cost the race, but not the car. Then, on November 6, 1965, the CSX2287 had not been raced for months, but the opportunity presented itself to haul it to the Bonneville Salt Flats to race against the clock and rewrite history. What is it with these people that find these barn finds that have these potato cameras? Where the photos just suck. Are you trying to look at I'm this? looking at the pictures of this thing. What's going on? This looks like it's from a flip phone. I can't even read the writing on the door. What the frick, man? Uh, just wait, Chris. All right, so in 65, after it had done all the races, they took it to Bonneville then. And in over four days, the car set 23 national and international speed records, reaching a top speed of 187 miles an hour. Shelby then sold the original Daytona. At this point, it was little more than an old prototype, right? To Jim Russell, founder of a toy car company, for $4,500. And that's where the weirdest part of the story begins. The Daytona soon landed in the hands of eccentric music producer Phil Spector, 26 years old at the time. 
It cost Spectre so many tickets that his lawyer eventually suggested he get rid of it. Spectre then sold it to his bodyguard, George Brand, for $1,000. Brand gave the car to his daughter, Donna O'Hara, who then parked it away in a California storage unit. Donna dutifully paid the rent on the storage facility every single month for 30 years. Wow. Over the years, interest mounted around the car, and she received several offers for it, but always refused. In fact, quote, Carol Shelby himself went to visit to see the car. She wouldn't even open the door to talk to him. It was widely known she had it, but it was also widely known you couldn't communicate with her. People had given up. Why? What was her problem? She's weird. Okay. Well, that's mean mark as the story goes and you'll find out i think she had some deeper psychological issues ah okay uh decades later car collector and retired neurosurgeon frederick simone with the help of his attorney finally managed to convince donna o'hara to sell him the car quote for an amount he'd rather not disclose for the record it's thought to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four million dollars <laughs> in a private transaction in 2008, he founded the Simone Automotive Museum in his home of Philadelphia, where the car now sits. But unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. What happened next is quite terrible. Don O'Hara willed the proceeds of the sale to her mother and then proceeded to kill herself by self-immolation. That's a way that's heavy. to go. Her shocking demise sparked a legal battle around the car that lasted for months. When word got out that the car was discovered and was being purchased by a private party, a lot of people desperately tried to buy it or intervene with the sale. They even asked a judge to put the car up for public sale. Even Phil Spector claimed ownership by saying oh, he never actually sold the car to his bodyguard back then. He only gave it to him for safekeeping. Specter, however, was then convicted of second-degree murder in 2009 and is currently in prison, so that <laughs> went away. Quote, You don't everybody, really need one of these if you're in prison. Yeah. Quote, everybody was going to have a story, says Simone, but thankfully, the judge concluded that it had already been legitimately and legally sold. The other five Daytonas, those produced in Italy, are all in the hands of private collectors, with one sold at auction in 2009 for $7.5 million. It's safe to assume then that the CSX-2287 would fetch significantly more since it's the first prototype, it's the last Daytona to have been in competition, and unlike the others, it's still in its original state with no parts replaced and no repainting having ever been done. Quote, the car was in excellent condition out of storage. All the original bits were there. No missing parts, says Simone. Only the front end was banged in. So we just hammered that out because it was ugly. The rest of the paint was dull but intact, and we had to do to get rid of the oxidation was just basically buff it. It came out very decent. The only things that we had to replace ended up being brake lines and a few bits of wiring. The it's car runs well, Chris, even on its original tires, and has been driven many times for shows and demonstrations, even though it's no longer raced. What would be interesting is if you were an incredibly wealthy guy, is to set up like a little racetrack. Yeah. Where, and then you buy up all these cars like this, right? You just buy them all. And then people can come and sit in them and like poke around at them and like yeah. maybe drive them around the track. Isn't that what Goodwood Revival was supposed to be? Or like kind of started out as? I don't know. Good Goodwood Revival isn't anything like that now. That's I know sure. it's not anymore. But imagine if you could do that. If you could, if you could pay five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, you'd have to have it at some sort of amount where it's not just a bunch of yahoos coming to drive the car. Right. You'd have to have some sort of barrier entry. But what if you could? We don't want Chris Cool coming out there. 
yeah, I can't afford that. But let's say you could you could pay five grand and you could get in this car, start it up, and rev it three times. What's that worth? What's, what is, what? <laughs> That'd be awesome. What, what would that be worth? Just to like wabba, just wabba, to, wabba. All right, sir. Let me give me your checkbook. That's it. So the CSX two two eight seven chassis Carroll Shelby Daytona prototype was the very first car and only one of seven so far to be included in the National Historic Register, putting it in the same class as American icons, such as the Statue of Liberty and the Space Shuttle. <laughs> no doubt making it one of the greatest cars to ever be found tucked away in some barn or shed over the years. So, Chris, with that, I'd like to put out a call to all our listeners. If you ever hear of that old car sitting out at your friend's uncle's farm, do us a favor and let us know. Yeah, especially me. I would love to hear it. I would, I would love to. <laughs> no, I want to buy it. I don't even care if it's a Civic. I don't care if it's a Dodge Colt. I don't care if it's a Renault. That's 78 Chevette. Whatever, <laughs> man. Chris wants that. Whatever. I just want to, like, find it and just, yeah, I just like finding things. Who doesn't like finding things? And even if you're just walking around and you see something on the ground, you're like, what is that? You pick it up and it's like, wow, it's a quarter. It's from, like, 1958. It's silver. Oh, it's great. It's cool. Yeah. Find. Everybody likes finding things and discovering Especially things. old things that have a story. Yes, exactly. That's what it's all about. Before you go, guys, head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. Support the show. It's only five bucks. It's only $5. And you get all sorts of exclusive content and cool history stories, deep dives like this. And at the end of the month, everybody that's a Patreon, Jess is going to send some stickers to. And nice. uh, that'll be that'll be a nice little bonus. Um, yeah, guys, we will see you on Friday. Jake, thanks for the great episode. That was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm going to uh, go launch a golf hour now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys on Friday. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,